Coming up on today's show, we talk to Charlie David about the re-release of his novel, Mulligans. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode number 33 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. I should applaud after that fanfare. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, it says here on the list, I start the banter. I know, so, but you were so cute, I had to um, give you some applause. So, in in deference to bantering, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Oh, that's good. I'm good. It's a decent week. Got some editing done. Cool. Yeah. How was your week? My week was fine. You were you were away on business and I just sort of hung out. Didn't do anything terribly interesting. I was away on business. I didn't do much terribly <laughs> interesting either. <laughs> and so go the days of our lives. Indeed. Uh, one bit of, of news in the, in the book world. Um, the hat trick box set that came out on Amazon a few weeks ago uh, has gone wide. So it's now available everywhere. Wherever you choose to buy your ebooks, you can now pick up the Hat Trick box set, which has all three novels and all three short stories, for the one low price of nine ninety nine. It's a good deal. What a deal! It is a deal. Awesome. Yeah, that's very happy about that. Yeah. So we got big news this week. Big news that did happen. Do you want to say it or shall I? Um. Well, you were more of the architect behind the scenes, and you probably have more details about the. Holy well, God I may have been the architect that kept it going, but you were the one who suggested it first, if I'm not mistaken. Was I? I think you were. So, the podcast <laughs> has been chosen as a GRL-featured blogger. And you're like, how does a podcast become a blogger? Well, the GRL-featured blogger program has been going on for probably the last three or four GRLs. Um, and what, what this is, is that the, the organizers of GRL, in conjunction with several of the major blogs that cover the gay romance genre, get together and... The blogs host GRL authors, and each year there's a, a process that goes on to choose the blogs that go on to it, and we decided to throw ourselves into the ring to, to see if we could host some of these authors, because it's a diff- we're a different way for authors to get out there and present themselves via audio and video. So I guess the, uh, the organizers agreed that we were kind of a, a nice addition to the mix, and uh, here we are. So starting in June, probably the first week of June, uh, we will start hosting GRL authors on the podcast uh, for some short interviews. That should be fun. Yeah, it will be. It will be. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm happy that we got the chance to do this, truthfully. Yes, we, we like this idea for the podcast because it will get us out in front of people we haven't potentially been seen by before. Mm-hmm. Um, as we talk to authors who have not been on the show... Uh, it's going to expose us to hopefully some new authors that we need to be aware of out yeah. there in the world. Yeah, um, for the authors, hopefully it's a good way for them to get exposure in a new way. To let their, their fans hear them and potentially see them if they'll let us do the video. Because we know some of the authors don't want to be videoed and that's 100% fine. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be good for everybody. And I'm really looking forward to actually go, to going to GRL with the podcast this year. And, and doing what we've done at the Dream Spinner Conference and at Rainbow Book Fair. I'd also talk to a lot of authors on scene as well. And when can we expect to getting uh, getting some of these interviews? When will they start? Uh, potentially as early as June 6th. Okay. <sighs> so we got a cool book in the mail this week. Why, yes, we did. Uh, last week or the week before, I 
jokingly posted about this on uh, Facebook to our our band of Facebook friends. Yes. Uh, and I joked that this particular little coffee table book, if there was going to be an official book of the podcast, this one would be it. And I am talking about Hot Dudes Reading. Um, this little book uh, came out not too long ago. And basically, it's a collection of... Hot Dudes Reading. Hot Dudes Reading. Fancy that. It's based on the Instagram sensation, so it says it right here on the cover, uh, uh, Hot Dudes Reading. And uh, basically, um, it's a really terrific collection of some of their greatest hits that have appeared on their Instagram account. They also um, uh, did some special um, photo shoots uh, at special locations all over New York City. Um, all of these hot dudes reading um, are in New York, uh, you know, at the subway. Um, in Central Park, in, um, in Brooklyn, all over the place. Yeah, all over the place. Uh, the book is uh, rather amusingly arranged by the color of subway lines. Yes. So uh, whichever subway this you know particular gentleman's picture has been taken on, it, it appears in that section. And uh, if they are out and about in the big city, um, it'll appear in the section where that subway subway uh, line will take you. Yeah. There's also some nice additional interviews in there too. Yes. Yeah. With some of the. I guess maybe the more popular guys um, have longer interviews. Things like you know, had they had they had you know gotten a date because of their appearance um, <laughs> on the Instagram account, and what do their friends think of it? But also some really fun stuff like you know, what's their earliest childhood book that they read, and and um, uh, paperback versus hardback, and why they prefer physical books over Kindles, and some good stuff in there. Stuff that we hit on the show a lot. So yeah, we very much recommend picking this up. Wow, this guy at Woodhaven Boulevard is pretty adorable. Yeah, if you're watching the video, yeah. you can check out Woodhaven I, Boulevard. I guy. read his book. Um, so yeah, check it out if you have a chance. Yeah, the book is available in uh, classic hardback, and it is also available in a Kindle edition. Yeah, we'll if, link up to it on the show notes. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Will's always on the lookout for hot guys reading books. So if you're on our Facebook page, which you should all be, you know, going out to and like. Uh, periodically, as he finds them, he does post them up there uh, for all of our podcast fans to listen to. And the Facebook page is facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. No big surprise there. So while I was gone, I read this week. I had time on planes, and I had, you know, chill out time periodically. So I finished Jazz Moon uh, by Joan Oconco, which I had mentioned last week. It's such a good book. It is such a good book. I have not read a book that had this kind of richness in character in place in a long time. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. My entire review for it is on jeffandwill.com, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Now, is um, this now when you say richness in character and place? <laughs> that's that's a a very uh, artsy fartsy literary kind of a term. Is this uh, an enjoyable book to read, or is it a a book that you're supposed to like to read? I personally thoroughly enjoyed the read okay there was nothing about it good. that was like i was never feeling like i was trudging through it that's good um, all right i it, it was a very enjoyable read in the in my review i actually likened it a little bit to ragtime mm-hmm. um and just how it how it cr- makes the places that you're at kind of a character 
and how deeply it dives into these characters' lives. Remind me again, um, what was this one about? I know you mentioned it last week, but... The uh, young poet uh, is married, but is flirted with by the jazz trumpeter and goes off to Paris. Oh, the histor- um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the Golden Age historical... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Alright. Um, so yeah, highly recommend that, and it's linked up to in the show notes. It actually comes out uh, this week. Cool. Um, the other book I read is called The Second Half, uh, A Gay American Football Story by Scott Pomfret. Um, some of you may remember Scott as half of Scott and Scott, who wrote the Romantics books a few years back. I remember that. Yeah, those were delightful books. <clears throat> and Scott reached out, because um, we uh, reviewed the books on jeffandwill.com I mean, back in the day, uh, with this book. And I loved it. It's, it's Coach Falling in Love with Quarterback. And I do love my athlete stories, um, but their close age too means that it's not a uh, a May December romance because Peyton's just out of college and this is his first coaching job, okay. and Brady deferred his college to go fight in Iraq, so they're closer in age than they normally would be, okay. um, and they've got so much working against them. But it's such a good read. Uh, it comes out June eighteenth, and is up for pre order. So we'll have that. Uh, also linked up in the show notes for oh, people to grab. Okay, that sounds good. Um, and both Scott and Joe will be on the podcast in the coming weeks to talk about their books. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Awesome, that sounds fun. Earlier this week, a friend of the podcast, Brandon Witt, wrote an opinion piece uh, at Love Bites Reviews. Is that the name of the site? Yes. Love Bites? Okay. Uh, and basically, he talked about the... Essentially, uh, it was about the harsh realities of being a full-time writer. Uh, now, do you read this, mm-hmm. and you were depressed by it. I don't know that I was so much depressed by Brandon's piece as the comments that came after it. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think it was very courageous for Brandon to put it out there, mm-hmm. uh, for one thing. So kudos, Brandon, for, for laying your heart out like that. I don't know. It's the the comments to me were like, "There's a lot of people out there struggling to do their thing." Yeah, and I think we all know that that's the case, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're trying to 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 make that leap into full timeness. Mm-hmm. And we hear a lot about it on the, on the writing related podcasts that we listen to too. You know, you just got to keep plugging away on it. And it it certainly you know what I took away from Brandon's piece is like, you know, here's where I am, and I'm still plugging away, and I'm going to make it keep. I'm going to keep going for it, and. Uh, what, what was your what was your take on it? Um, I just thought it was uh, important that he said what he said. I think the truthfulness. Um, he wasn't um, bitching and moaning about oh it's hard. I'm a writer. It's so hard because yeah. uh, he made it abundantly clear that's not what um, this piece was about, and he didn't want anyone to think that's what he was doing. He's just you know trying to be upfront and truthful uh, about how difficult it can sometimes be, despite how it might look otherwise. Um, Because on the outside, most people view Brandon as a success um, because, well, there are several different factors. One is he's had, you know, several, seven actually, seven books published uh, and that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people would, you know, think that's pretty badass. And so, you know, there's a win right there. He's just, you know, 
that's success for being able to do that. And plus, you know, it's, you know, Brandon being Brandon, he's kind of, you know, shiny and he's happy and he's out there on social media a lot. And um, he uh, puts forth not not a fake or a, a false, like, mask of, you know, the happy author, but he's, you know, out there... Uh, making sure that, you know, uh, people are aware that he exists, you know. He, you, you gotta work to get your name out there and keep it out there and make sure people are aware of your books. Mm -hmm. So, despite what, you know, he's, you know, out there and he's uh, in social media and he's doing, you know, pieces on blogs and he's got seven books under his belt... Um, Despite those maybe outward markers of success, he was pretty honest that he uh, is having a pretty tough time right now um, because he uh, he mentioned in uh, the interview a couple of months back that he went full time. Mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's trying to make a living by his writing all alone. Um, and that's difficult for anybody, let alone someone in our genre. And I think that's what the piece was mainly about. It was just uh, being honest about the realities of, of what yeah. what can what I, can happen and what's going on in the genre at the moment. I think it helped drive home to, and I don't think he put it in so many words, but I mean, it's like running any small business. Mm -hmm, that's true. Any small business is difficult, and it can look like your favorite restaurant is doing great on the outside. And then you discover one day, yeah. That it's not there anymore. Yeah, true. Or, exactly. Exactly. Or that, right. I mean, yeah. the, the perfect analogy I think that, that we did we found a couple weeks ago. We went to one of our favorite spots for lunch, and they're not open for lunch anymore because they weren't. They're not able to stay open for lunch, yeah. and so now it's, it's only dinner. Yeah, it's too expensive to stay open that that many hours. And yeah. you know, everybody who's trying to write for a living is a small business that mm -hmm. will have its ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. So hang in there, Brandon. We all love you, <laughs> and you're doing great work. Uh, we know it's tough now, but uh, keep plugging away. I'm sure it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have a special contributor on deck this week. Uh, we reached out to Poppy Dennison a few days ago, um, hot after her getting back from Book Expo America and BookCon. <laughs> hot. <laughs> <laughs> after, and, and those two events took place last weekend, May 11th through the 14th in Chicago. Oh, okay. And we caught up with her to find out what that event was, what, what it was like for Dreamspitter to be there. Cool. We have Poppy Dennison with us today uh, to talk about BEA and BookCon. Uh, welcome, Poppy. Hi, good morning. So, of course, you were at BEA and BookCon uh, with DreamSpinner as, you know, marketing director and also with your own books. Uh, for those who don't know, tell us what BEA is. Uh, BEA is the Book Expo of America, and it's one of the largest book events of the year, uh, particularly, particularly in the United States. There's some larger book fairs in Europe and places, but this is really the big one in the United States. And what the Book Expo is, is a place where all of the book industry comes together. So this is really a big business event. So you'll have publishers there, you'll have printers there, you'll have uh, marketing folks there. Anybody who's actually involved in the behind the scenes of the book industry, they're there um, kind of selling their wares and letting other publishers and business um, people in the business know who you are. So... 
BookCon, on the other hand, is sort of attached to the Book Expo, but it's a one-day event where the same folks kind of hang around for an extra day, and we invite readers and fans in, and there's a lot of big events there, and so the readers get to come in and explore and, and introduce themselves to new publishers and new books. So it's kind of a crazy, impressive, humongous event. What was Dream Spinner's involvement there? Uh, we, if, if people may have seen on Facebook, the huge table, all the books, the big book signing that happened. So what we do is we're there as um, part of the Book Expo to introduce um, other business folks um, to Dream Spinner and let people know who we are and what we do. For the Book Expo, for the main part, for my, my role, um, as folks are kind of walking in and exploring the event, I, I get to stop and talk to those folks and let them know who we are and what we do and tell them a little bit about our books. There's a lot of librarians at the Book Expo, so it's a great opportunity for us to like let other librarians even know that we exist. Um, it's particularly true for our young adult line and for our DSP publications line, which is our genre fiction. Those are new, um, newer imprints. And a lot of folks still don't know that they exist. So we're really just trying to spread the word about not only Dream Spinner, but Harmony Inc. and DSP Publications. Kind of let folks know that we exist and get our books into those library catalogs. And how was the book signing? I, I saw online that like all the Harmony authors, basically all their books were gone in the early Yeah, the yeah. We had, um, let's see, I think we did three Harmony authors and four Dream Spinner authors came in. Um, and did a signing. It was really amazing because the lines just like they just form and folks get so excited. We do the book signings for Dream Spinner. Um, our kind of signings are held on the book con day and not during the book expo. Um, some of the publishers actually do signings during the uh, book expo. We do ours during, during book con. It was amazing. I mean, just the lines that just form and People get so excited to meet authors, and it's a really cool experience because they can um, see that author face-to-face -face and get to have that experience. And so it's really, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, basically we just kind of are like, hey, we've got a book signing. And they're like, what? And they line up and get all excited. So it's really, really fun just to kind of watch it happening. What was the general overall kind of feeling about gay romance being there? Does it, does it you know, everybody right is so open to, to us being there. I mean, I have not had a negative experience at this event. Um, especially the librarians are just so happy to know that we exist if they don't know. If they do, they come looking to us and say, what's new? What's exciting? What, you know, what can I add to my collection at my library? Um, they're just so open to us being there. And they're happy that we're there. And I got so many responses that were like, I'm so glad you guys do what you do. I'm so thankful that you're here. Um, keep doing what you're doing. They're just so incredibly supportive. It's, it's really an empowering event as both a, an author and a supporter and an advocate just to be there and to see the just open arms and acceptance that we receive. It's, it's really just not a, an issue at all. We're another publisher, you know, so it's kind of special in a way to not be singled out. We're just we're part of it. We do what we do. So it's it's really cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for stopping by and talking to us about it. No problem. Happy to. Anytime. Thank you, Poppy, for taking a few minutes to talk to us about the shindig and goings on down in Chicago. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed getting that little bit of talking with her. Yeah. So we have Charlie David up next. 
who's here to talk about his re-release of the book for the movie Mulligans, mm-hmm. um, which is out this Wednesday, May 25th, from Dreamspitter Press. Uh, he's also the voice of the audiobook, so he's really done Mulligans in every <laughs> possible format, from the movie which he acts in and which he wrote to the book to the audiobook. And we actually talk about how the, what the differences were in working across all those different um, artistic formats uh, in the interview. Cool. Yeah. So let's go talk to Charlie. So it's our pleasure to welcome Charlie David to the podcast. Uh, Charlie calls himself a storyteller. He's been on TV in the travel series Bump, as well as the paranormal Dante's Cove. His films include Mulligans, A Four-Letter Word, Judas Kiss, and most recently Paternity Leave, some of which have been produced through his production company, Border to Border Entertainment. He's also an author and voiceover artist with several titles available from Dreamspinner Press. His novelization of the 2008 film Mulligans is being re-released by Dreamspinner on May 25th. Thanks for being here, Charlie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to do this. So if our research is right, Mulligan's marked a few firsts for you. First full-length movie to write and produce, first novelization. But tell us about the story for those who may not be familiar. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, um, if, for those that don't know, a mulligan is a term from golf, and it's essentially used in a more casual game um, when one player takes a shot and is allowed to take a second stroke, and it doesn't count against that player's score. So it's a do-over. Um, and writing the the screenplay and the book for Mulligans really came about after I had done this gothic uh, supernatural soapy show called Dante's Cove, um, which was a lot of fun. It was very kind of uh, gay in your face in a way. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Best watch drunk is the other way that I, you know, generally caution people if they haven't seen the show. Um, I mean, you know, I was throwing fireballs at witches and warlocks and, you know, people were half dressed most of the time. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily the type of programming that I felt comfortable like sharing with my grandparents or even family or people who, you know, I was, also recently coming out. So I wanted to um, start writing and, and producing content that I felt could further the, the conversation around what it means to be LGBTQ um, that was more accessible to a mainstream audience. And, and that's why I wrote Mulligans. And I think in, in many ways on the film front, we did uh, succeed in that. You know, we had networks like HBO and Sundance and, and other uh, mainstream networks in Canada pick it up. Um, so that brought it kind of beyond the the niche of just uh, gay TV. And of course, our the gay networks have been extremely supportive as well, which has been good. But, you know, it was a show where, you know, my grandmother uh, invested and watched and, you know, <laughs> Invested <laughs> even, that's awesome. Well, you know, it was one of these things where I was a first-time producer, you know, I was 27 years old and had done a little bit of TV and film, but had never produced a film before, you know, and and nobody likes to bet on a horse that they haven't seen run, sure. right? So um, I didn't have broadcast support or distributor support or any kind of pre-sale money, so it was... One of these things that you now see a lot of on like Indiegogo and things like this where like, please help me fund my film, except 
at that point I wasn't looking for donations. It was be a part of this, come on board and be an investor and let's take this journey together. Um, and so I flew around Canada and the U.S. giving little dinner parties and pitches about what this story was and why I believed in it. And, um, and thankfully, enough people came on board to, uh, to make it happen. And, you know, um, everybody got paid back and shared in profits, so that felt even better. Nice. Well done. Congratulations for a first film. That's awesome. What's it like revisiting the story eight years on as you get ready for the Dream Spinner re-release? It's really interesting. I mean, that the story for for me of Mulligans, it touches a lot of points. A lot of the characters were inspired from friends or family in my own life, um, which is, you know, I think something that a lot of writers, of course, do. Somebody inspires you in a little thing that they say or the way they hold a teacup or whatever it is, and you, you kind of, you know, roll from there. Um, so there was a lot of, you know chuckles and comfort and fond memories of both the the filming and the original writing um and the dream spinner team for me the editing team there just really helped elevate the level of the book and i think took my writing and um and pushed me encouraged me to to make it better than it was so i think with this second edition it's something that i'm i'm proud of and i'm excited for the story to go back out into the world Awesome. So you mentioned that, you know, obviously they did their editing work with you. Was there anything that you went into the revisions knowing you wanted to change or adjust or update? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the film, I mean, you know, film is an interesting beast where generally a screenplay is only 80 to maybe 100 pages right? And on those pages, you have a little bit of description, but it's mostly dialogue and a lot of white space left for the imagination of the director and everybody involved. Um, and while I'm certainly happy with the film, I think that there were some things that, uh, for me as the, the storyteller, the creator, you know, were left on the editing room floor or weren't explored in the way that, you know, I thought they maybe could be. So some of those things are certainly drawn out more in, in the novel. So side relationships, um, as well as chapter by chapter, we switch perspective from one character to the next. So we're going through each of, you know, the members of the family and then the character of Chase, who is the, the character who kind of disrupts the family unit. And we see what's going on, their motivations, what they're thinking. And I think that really um, is, uh, is helpful. I mean, it's been, it's been great, this, uh, both the film and the book, the amount of interaction with people who have watched or read after, who have said, oh, I love the story, I really like the family, and can we do a sequel? And... Um, and so that, I mean, that's something that I certainly consider, although it was probably one of the hardest endings I've ever had to, to write or <laughs> come up with. And, and I think part of that, I, I should backtrack a little bit. So I mentioned what a mulligans is in golf in the term, like in, in our story, what happens is two college age best friends go home for uh, the summer holidays and the friend has an affair with his best friend's father. 
And so then it's the repercussions of that affair, that kind of falling out. And, you know, and certainly kind of a, a coming out later in life story, which is, I think, the, the, the trigger that most resonated with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Was the, in terms of the ending, do you think you accomplished it? I, for lack of a better word, better, I guess, in the book than the film? Mm. Because of what the, I guess, what the novel page gives you to, like, spread things out more? Yeah, I think that's it. Like, in the film, I probably had originally written at least three or four scenes between the the parents, you know, discussing what, where is our relationship now? What does this mean? Are you gay? Am I supposed to have boyfriends? Are you supposed to have boyfriends? Are we still going to live together? Am I taking this house and you're taking the cottage? How do we tell our 10-year-old daughter about this? Like, all this stuff that, you know, a normal relationship would go through, obviously, the fireworks, the highs, the lows, the crying, the, you know, to get to a place of reconciliation that real, I mean, everybody is different, but that could take years, <laughs> you know, could never happen, a reconciliation. Or, you know, in the case of our story, we tried to build it so that the mother knew she knew but she wasn't um you know she didn't want to admit it to herself it certainly wasn't something that she was putting out there it was kind of like i maybe have a husband who's interested in the same sex but it's not something that you know he's dealing like he's not out there chasing anything and so um everything's kind of as as good as it gets and and let's just keep the car on the rails as it were right yeah, so I think in, in the novel, I was certainly able to expound on all of that and what was going on internally for those characters and how they got to a place of being okay in their own way. Um, and it's, it's not a happily ever after, at least yet. I think, you know, everybody is left with hope and an open road, but I think just by its essence, the story is a very difficult one for, for me at least to realistically tie up and put a bow on. Right. Right. Without, I think the bow would make it feel forced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so as an author, do you have a preference or actually better as not just an author, but as a creator, do you have a preference of like writing screenplay versus novel Mm. or do they just both bring you something different? Yeah, I think they really bring something different. I I love both story forms. You know, I think they're they're so fun to explore. When I'm writing a screenplay, um, I I'm imagining it as a director, right, or as a producer, and and in some ways that becomes more limiting because I'm also quite aware of what budgets are in gay film and I tend to make things kind of in the queer space. So sometimes that's a little bit limiting because then I start going, oh, oh, that'd be fun, but that's going to cost this much. And then if we do that or if I want, you know, and, and so I have to, um, really try and break out of that box because my brain is built as a producer as well. And I, to turn that off takes some real effort. Whereas in 
a more creative story uh, form like a novel or, or a short story or whatever, those limitations are, are gone. So that, that's definitely more exciting. Mm -hmm. And with Mulligans, we should mention too, that you also did the audiobook. You voiced the audiobook. So mm -hmm. you've really like done every performance method available. You were chasing the film. What was it like to take this that you'd done as Chase only and then voice and essentially perform the entire work? Uh, yeah, it was really, it was very interesting because I think, um, I think as a novelist or any storyteller, you would like, I'm sure this resonates with you too, that a little bit of your heart goes into each of the characters, even the ones that you maybe dislike you know but you know there's there's parts of you in every page and so it was it was rewarding it was really fun it was um emotional to go through scenes like the most explosive one between the parents you know to reimagine you know taya gill playing the role of stacy the mother in that kitchen you know, talking to her husband for the first time saying, I saw you, I saw you kiss him, you know, and like, ah, oh, my body gets shivers just as I think of, oh my God, what would that be like to just feel your world start to crumble, you know? And, um, and knowing that in that moment, you probably have a choice to continue to avert your gaze and go about life or to confront this head on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was really, really fun to do that. And I generally get a lot of joy in, you know, voicing um, the work of, of authors and doing these audiobooks. It's, it's, uh, it's a really fun experience to go along that ride with them to find the, the voice of the different characters. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a voice artist's, in terms of, you know, big cartoon stuff or how, how some voice artists are, are really fantastic at putting a bunch of different voices for everybody. I tend to do a little bit of nuanced work, occasional accents, especially if it's obviously written in, <laughs> then I'll do my best. Um, but I mean, yeah, not every book makes a good audiobook either. And that's something that I think generally as authors, when we're writing, we're not, we're not imagining what it's going to sound like as an audiobook, right? Yeah. And sometimes it becomes very challenging when I look at a page and if it's just dialogue, 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 and it's six people at a dinner party, okay, this like, <laughs> you know, to switch back and forth, even with simple nuances between those people, if they don't have kind of a tag at the end, she said he whatever gestured and um so yeah it's it's i mean i'm learning a lot as a writer just by um you know being able to read other people's work which is pretty fun mm -hmm. <laughs> you've got two other books with dream spinner uh boy mid-flight which is an audio and shadowlands an ebook and audio tell us mm -hmm. a little a little bit about those uh, Boy Mid Flight is also receiving a re-release um, with Dream Spinner on July 4th, which I'm excited about. It has a great new cover um, and, you know, was also uh, 
broomed and swept and dusted through. So I think, again, it's also a better book than the first edition. Um, Boy Mid Flight is very much my story as a teenager, I would say. It's a coming out story. Um, and then with some kind of creative, imaginative flourishes moving on from there. But uh, it's about a young guy who's going to a performing arts college in Victoria on Canada's West Coast, uh, moves down to the States, and kind of following his, his search for love along the way. Um, and then Shadowlands is a book of short stories. So it's an anthology of um, kind of paranormal queer uh, short stories. So that was really fun and definitely much darker than anything else that I've done. And I think um, that was maybe the most startling um, feedback that I've received is people going like, you wrote that? Like, where did that come from? You know, because they either know me as the bubbly host of the travel show Bump, constantly smiling and joking and having fun, or, you know, from other acting work, but they've never kind of seen this, you know, kind of dark emo <laughs> side, which, like, also exists, you know? So, um, in ways that was maybe... One of my favorite books to write, just because it it was so freeing that it's it's short form. It could be kind of anything. There's prose in there. There's poetry. Um, so, yeah, and that that one's out on uh, ebook, paperback, and audiobook as well. That must have been a fun audio to record, going between the prose and the poetry and some of that darker stuff. It was it was really fun, although I would say it was. I think it was one of the first audiobooks I ever recorded. And I was in Seattle filming um, Judas Kiss, this movie that we did a few years ago. And it was on a day between filming and we just, we booked a, uh, like an audio studio, went in. And so the pressure was on to do like, you know, almost 200 pages in a day. And wow. <laughs> that's ambitious. That, that was ambitious. That was very ambitious and not the, not the way that I like to work. I mean, often when I'm doing an audiobook for somebody, I'll take a month, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm planning, and then I lay chapters down, I go, I, I edit that work, you output, like, you know, and then there's back and forth with the author or with the publishing house as well in terms of little tweaks or fixes here and there. So it's, it's a bigger process than a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would imagine just giving voice to 200 pages in a day, having talked to some voiceover artists, it's like there's a point where they need to stop so their voice isn't just drained. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it was one of the, yeah, one of the most difficult and, and again, a learning experience, you know, where I would go, that's not happening again. I don't care how tight my schedule is. We're not doing that. Smart. <laughs> so what kind of stories attract you as an author and creator to, you know, lend your, your voice and talent to? Mm. I guess, it, yeah, it kind of depends on the, the genre in which I'm working. Like most, for the past three or four years, I've really been exploring documentary and loving that. And so all my, my doc films are up on my website, border to border.ca. And um, we, we've just released one called balls. That's all about 
men's testicular health. So looking at guys who have gone through testicular torsion, which is when they twist and there's a loss of blood flow, testicular cancer, varicocele vein, um, within the trans community, either M to F or F to M. So that choice to, to keep the balls or, I mean, right now we don't really have a way to, to build them for uh, F to M. So how do you have kind of psychic balls and this whole idea of like, what does this weird body part mean in terms of masculinity, virility? Why do we imbue it with so much stuff, you know? So that's one. Um, we're doing one on uh, polyamory, which is called us So the idea of, you know, living non-monogamous lives and finding new forms of love. We've done many series on strippers called I'm a Stripper. We've done, yeah, lots of different things. And and that, working as a director in documentary, has taught me story in a very different way because documentary is a live animal that has no leash. And <laughs> you try and, you know, plan as, as much as possible, but you are following real people and you're trying to anticipate how they will react in any given situation, how they may answer a question, and then following the lead from there. So it's very... I found that form very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and in the scripted world, um, we're, we're turning Shadowlands uh, into an episodic miniseries. So we're going to take some of those paranormal queer short stories and, and shoot it as like probably five or six episodes of about a half, half an hour. Kind of a throwback to like the Twilight Zone, um, that type of a feel. Nice. Are we going to see you all dressed up in a suit, introducing each Rod Serling-esque? That was the thought originally, uh, and we even did like a little teaser in that way with me as like a ringmaster, but then we've decided since to, to cut that. And so, you know, it's still an homage to that, uh, that kind of era of that kind of television, um, but we're going to lose the host and just go directly into the stories, which I think will be stronger. <laughs> So as an author, who are your inspirations when you're writing? Mm. Growing up, I guess I read a lot of Anne Rice. I devoured her work. And I think that, you know, I could, I could definitely draw a line from her to, to Shadowlands and the inspiration there. Um, I mean, she's just so descriptive and verbose and like, in, in the best way, you know? Um, right now, I'm reading a lot of historical fiction. I love Eric Larson. I think he's, like, such an amazing talent to take, you know, people's journals and news reports and all these things from over 100 years ago and weave a yarn that is gripping <laughs> to me today. Um, in the kind of MM space. Um, I've been enjoying Ella Frank and L.A. Witt. I've been doing some of their audiobooks recently. And uh, yeah, they've been, you know, I, I've certainly enjoyed um, their work as well. But I, I almost always have a pile of like four or five books on my nightstand. And I'm, I'm the type of person who will be Interswitching. <laughs> oh, wow. And reading different ones and 
you know, depending on kind of my mood for that evening, whether I need to get to bed quickly. So something needs to put me to sleep (laughs) (laughs) or it's a multi-chapter night. Yeah. So what's the most recent thing you read off that stack? If only for like one bedtime. Um, Right now I'm actually reading uh, Winter of the World, which is, I would run to get the author's name. Um, Gosh, why can't I remember his name? I could look that up off Amazon. That's the beginning of the internet. I mean, it's one of these, like he writes these like 900 or 1,000 page kind of epic stories. Winter of the World follows probably 10 families kind of leading up to um, the Second World War. And so we're, we're in Germany, we're in the UK, we're in Ireland, we're in Spain, we're in the US. And, and um, again, it's, it's, I guess, more, it's in that historical uh, fiction land and, and World War I, World War II, I'm really enjoying right now, which is maybe a little bit um, <laughs> off topic for romance. <laughs> But <laughs> I don't think not necessarily everybody reads all romance all the time. Yeah, no, true. When do we get to see more of you as an author with another book at Dream Spinner, perhaps? Anything in the works? Yeah, you know, I've had a couple that are just, um, yeah, my latest one, working title, um, Boys of Montgomery, is a, it's kind of like a queer Hardy Boys. And I guess that was something that I desired, fantasized about when I was reading those guys growing up. I was like, oh, what if these guys were like, you know, not brothers, but boyfriends? And what if they went around, you know, solving mysteries all over the place? And and so I'm about, I would say, probably three quarters of the way through that. So... Hopefully in the next six months. I'll definitely, I'll definitely uh, push the buy button for that because that sounds great. I mean, I had the Hardy Boys yeah. books growing up and there was the, you know, the 70s TV show. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is more, I mean, it, it's probably for their Harmony Inc. Um, yeah. press, you know, like it's more YA stuff. Sure. Yeah, but something that I wanted to explore. I, you know, I've just can, been reflecting recently again on like what what is my life mission what the heck am i doing here and like does any of this matter and you know those esoteric weird questions that we sometimes go through and but i keep coming back and always have to this idea that you know i grew up in small town saskatchewan had no gay mentors there wasn't you know accessible gay media at the time and and i think that's what has always pushed me to create and will continue to push me to create in this space whether it's film tv or books is telling telling our stories and I, you know hopefully telling stories that feel authentic and reflective of of who we are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i certainly felt that with mulligans i mean there's so <laughs> much there i mean even though it was made you know almost a decade ago now it mm-hmm. works as a story of now too i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting i think that was the the most rewarding thing when we released the film on the festival circuit at first, because I mean, you make something, you have no idea, right? Like whether it's a book or a film or whatever, how people are going to react. Is anybody going to read it? Will your mom read it? Will she tell you it's good? I mean, that's her job, right? But, um, 
but we we opened in in Toronto with Mulligans, and I remember walking up with my business partner Linda, and there was this lineup down the sidewalk out you know out of the theater, and I was like, oh my god, I wonder what this is for. Like, can you imagine? Could you imagine if our film got you know people lining up like this? And sure enough, it was. It was our screening, and that was incredible. And then to sit in that audience and and hear people laugh when you hoped they would laugh, cry when you hoped they would cry, and and applaud, you know, like and then after for so many, especially I would say, you know, men that were kind of in their forties, fifties, sixties coming up after and saying that was my story, you know, like or there were certainly elements of my life's journey in there. I was married. I had kids. I had to come to terms with the fact that that wasn't, you know, that's not who I was. That's not how I was built. And the amazing, beautiful stories. I mean, I told, I told one as best as I could imagine it. Right. But the truth is so many men and women have gone through this journey and their stories are incredible with, did they find reconciliation? Did they not? How did they talk to their children? How did they, you know, then approach life in the workplace? I mean, you know, it's coming out is tough. Doesn't matter what age it is and, and how you're doing it or, you know, whether it's, you know, any of the, the letters and the acronym of our community. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a great way to put it. So what's the best way for people to keep up with your work? Um, I guess, I mean, visiting my, my website, if you want to see the work that's available now, which is border to border.ca. So border, the number two, and then border.ca. Um, and then, I mean, since I'm a video guy, either YouTube or Vimeo. And if you just search for Charlie David Yule, you can, you know, find me there. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and other social things, but probably uh, YouTube and Vimeo are, are the ones that I'm most active. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to throw out to our listeners and watchers before we wrap up? Uh, no, just, I mean, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for what you do and for your, you know, support and encouragement for, for all of us in the, in the creative community. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Especially that you get up at, you know, four thirty in the morning to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're certainly very happy to have you here and wish you all the success with the re-release and, and the other projects you've got cooking out there. Thank you so much. So thanks to Charlie for coming on to talk to us about Mulligans. That was awesome. Can't believe it's been ten years since Dante's Cove. Mm, it's been a while. Yeah. Poor Kevin is still stuck in that mirror. <laughs> I so badly wanted to ask about that and I just left it alone because that's that's in the past now. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So that's about does it for this week's episode. Before we leave, I want to thank Anne for the most recent five-star review on iTunes. Yeah, thanks, Anne. And she also left some book recommendations in the comments of episode 31, if anyone wants to take a look at that. Absolutely. Katie left us some recommendations on 31 also. Yeah. So if anyone would like to leave a review, we certainly wouldn't mind. And if you want to leave comments like Christina did, uh, we would appreciate it. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you guys. Mm Mm-hmm. So, we love hearing from you all. Uh, Drop us a line, say hi, and that'll do it for this week. Absolutely. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. 